Morning, family. Such a privilege to be together today and such a gentle sense of the Lord's presence as I was praying this morning uh, with some of the South leaders at the South Church, just so aware of the Lord's presence with us today. And perhaps something of the Lord's presence is about also for those that feel a little lonely this time of the year and may feel just the missing of loved ones or just for various reasons. And I, I trust this morning that even for you, there would have just been such a sense of the Lord's embrace and of his nearness and his closeness to you. Thinking about this morning and, and a message and what I should be speaking about, I, um, I realized it's a time of the year where we do tend to reflect a lot on the year that's been before us and what's happened and, and, and we're starting to perhaps sort out through the year in a sense to try and you know, what do we place where and what do we put in which category and so that we can know how to move on for next year. And so I've entitled my message this morning, Count Your Blessings. And uh, what I would like to do is to actually encourage you to perhaps count some things as blessings that you may have put in the not blessings column. That perhaps today, as I share with you, you want to move those things over into the column of the things that you can count as blessings for this year. I'm gonna take us through a number of scriptures and I'm gonna start with Hebrews 12, this very well-known portion of scripture, Hebrews 12, verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I wanna begin this morning by reminding us that we are each running a race at the moment. I think it is true that the race that we are running, it has many different levels and components to it. I think there's a race that the human race is running. I think there's a race that the church of the Lord Jesus is running. But I wanna remind you that there's a race that you are running, that you are not a spectator, you are an athlete. This scripture tells us what you need to do to be able to become a spectator in the race that is being run. And the scripture tells us to be a spectator of this race, you have to have died. You have to have moved on to the great cloud of witnesses, our forebears, the ones that have completed their part of the race, that are watching the race being run. But this race is still ongoing. This race that started with creation and, and will continue to run until the full glorification of the Lord Jesus and of the kingdom of God being fully established. This race is continuing and you are an athlete in the race. There's not one person here that is either in this room joining us on, on our live stream or on radio or watching this later that can be in the position of a spectator. So as I talk with you this morning, I'd like you to think of yourself in your gym outfit, if you have such a thing. I would like to, you to think of yourself with your running shoes on. I'd like you to think of yourself with, your, with, with the appropriate clothes ready to engage in the exercise that is required to run your race and to run it well. I also wanna remind you that this race that you are running is not the race that you chose to run, but a race that has been chosen for you. You didn't put yourself in the 
type of race or in the item or the, the specific sport that you thought you would be good at, the scripture tells us a race has been marked out for us. We are participating in a race that we have been chosen for and made for. God created you with this race in mind. God made you to be a participant, but not just a participant in this race, to actually win this race, to be victorious in this race. In Hebrews 12 verse 2, the writer to the Hebrews continues on and he says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we start talking about this race and thinking about this race, it's so wonderful that the, the writer of the Hebrews gives us a bit of context to this race and, and sort of pitches the, the race for us so that we understand the level of the race that we're talking about. Because it could be true that I'm in a race, but it may just be that I'm in like a park run. How many of you have done park runs? Park run is wonderful. It's five kilometers. You can walk it. You don't have to win, you just have to be there. And it's easy for us to think that perhaps the race that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is like a park run. Just because you got up early enough, you've won. That's not this kind of race. The race he's talking about here is a very competitive race. It is an elite type of event that he's talking about. He says to us, if you want to understand the race, perhaps it is good to look at the person who has done this race the best that anybody's ever done it, and that's the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus took part in this race. He's actually the first one that won this race, that got it right, that was perfect. He's the, he's the one that broke through the four-minute mile. He's the one that has gone before us. He's the one that we can emulate, that we can learn from, that he's our hero, the one we look up to and say, I wanna do the race the same way that Jesus did the race. And you and I know what Jesus' race was. His race was all about dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. So beautiful how Ben described for us just what we are entering into this season today and the birth of Christ and which we will celebrate next weekend. But you and I know that perhaps that leg of Jesus' race that started at his birth was all about where that race would lead to and that was the cross. Jesus achieved, completed that part of his race when he died on the cross and was then raised on the third day. Imagine if Jesus did everything he did. But at the Garden of Gethsemane, he turned around and he didn't go to the cross. Perhaps something could have happened where in that moment, like we've spoken about recently, where Jesus said, let this cop pass me by. And perhaps in that moment, he made the decision to say, I'm not gonna go to the cross. Do you realize that then he would have lost his race? No matter how many people got raised from the dead, how many thousands were fed, how many healings happened, he would have not have won his race. He would have lost his race. That's the context of the race that we are being spoken about to from the writer of the Hebrews. It's not this race. You don't just 
do casually. This is your life's race. This is a race that requires everything that you and I have. And this race has to be won. There's only one outcome. And that is us winning this race. Whether that is us collectively, as the human race winning the race that we're supposed to run, whether it's us as the church winning the race that we're running collectively as the body of Christ, which is being passed on from one generation to the next, or whether it's my personal race, there's only one goal, there's only one objective, and that goal is for the glorification of my Father. That's the race. That's the goal, that's the prize, is that God will be glorified. Jesus said, I do nothing that does not bring to glory to the Father. That was his race. The cross was part of him glorifying his Father. And, and the scripture says it so beautifully here. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Because he was able to go through the most difficult part of this race and complete it, he entered into his rest. And there's a rest that waits for you and me. And that's that final rest when we will take our place in the great cloud of witnesses. But now we are running the race. You are running the race. Verse three, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So perhaps the, the core of what I wanna do today is to encourage you to keep running your race, to stay engaged with your race, to never give up. And perhaps the key word for this talk is the word endurance. I want to stir you and me in our endurance. Endurance is a concept that is so often mentioned in the scripture. There's different words used for it. Perseverance, long-suffering, even patience forms part of it. But endurance is an absolute necessity for anybody to win the race, to, con to, to, to do well in the race that has been set out for them to run. You have to have endurance. I like what William Barclay said about endurance, the, the, one of the great Bible commentators. He said this, endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but the ability to turn it into glory. That's the biblical endurance. Biblical endurance is not just, I'm, I'm showing up. I, I haven't stopped. It begins there, but it goes further than that. Biblical endurance is actually doing the race in such a way that it leads to glory. And how do you do a race that leads to glory? You win it. Tonight is the World Cup final between Argentina and France. And Jason, I just want to remind you that Argentina was my pick from the beginning. Even though they lost against Saudi Arabia and everybody thought, oh, including me. So we'll see what happens tonight. But those two teams... Tonight, are hoping one of them will turn their endurance into glory. The, the team that wins for the next four years will be able to say, we are the champions of the world. We are world champions. They, when the next World Cup comes around, they will have a different badge than everybody else on their arm with that gold color because they will enter that competition as world champions. They don't have to qualify. They've already qualified for the next one. They are the champions. Every game they play, they will come in and they will be spoken about as the champions, the world champions. They will have a little star above their nation's emblem. And I think for both of them, it's their third star. Whoever wins will get their third star tonight. 
And that's the glory. Now there's some glory in coming second, but it is nothing compared to actually winning. That's turning endurance into glory. For years, those players have had to do drills, do exercises, do gym training, watch what they eat, watch their sleep patterns, do everything to build for this moment so that their endurance can give them glory. You and I in our race need endurance so that our endurance can produce glory. Not glory for us, but glory for our Father. That's why we are in this race. I'm not in this race for what it will give me ultimately, but for what it will give Him. Because in what it gives Him, it will cause me glory. But it's not my glory that's up front and first of all. So to run this race, we need endurance. But not just endurance, a high level of endurance. In elite sport, endurance becomes something of great, great value. Now in rugby, particularly at the highest level, they talk about muscular endurance. Muscular endurance is the ability to perform a high volume of intense activity without the benefit of adequate oxygen. In short, it's when you're You're working so hard that your heart and lungs cannot keep up with the demands of your muscles. You and I all experience it. If you go for a fast walk or a a jog or anything, or you're just very active, your body starts requiring oxygen. And so what it does is it heightens its ability to draw in oxygen. You start breathing faster. And your heart starts beating faster because your muscles are calling for more oxygen. And so more oxygen needs to flow through your body. So your breathing increases and your heart rate increases. And so you're trying to get more oxygen. Now, the harder you work, the more oxygen you need to get. So the faster you breathe, the harder your heart pumps. Now, at some point, you can no longer produce the oxygen your muscles require. And you can only sustain that for so long. And as you do that, as you are being active and now your, your muscles are requiring more and more oxygen, but you are now in a state of oxygen depletion, you are, you are in an oxygen deficit situation, you're not getting enough oxygen, lactic acid starts building up in your body and it starts causing you pain and your body's starting to scream at you and say, stop it, sit down. And at that moment, if you sit down, your heart rate begins to drop, your, oxy- your breathing begins to drop because you are now able to start taking in more oxygen. Your muscles don't require so much anymore and eventually it'll subside. And if you do that soon enough, even the pain will go, the, the lactic acid will be taken out of your body, the oxygen will deal with it and you'll be fine. The more you want to compete, the more fitter you have to become. You're training your body in how to take in oxygen, store oxygen, use oxygen. Now, if you're competing at a very high level, you have to begin to develop the ability to actually function without enough oxygen. And that is particularly evidently common in elite rugby. Because what happens in an elite rugby match is as the match goes on, you know a rugby match is 80 minutes, normally a bit longer than that. But as the match goes on, the players have to not only be able to run, 
move from one place to the next with the ball. They also have to be able to take the hits of either being tackled or tackling somebody or engaging with a scrum. So they have to have that strength to do that. And they also have to have the mental capability to make decisions the whole time at quite a fast pace. Now, early on in the match, with the normal level of fitness, you can do that. But when it comes to the last 10 minutes, you, they actually enter into a stage where they've got almost no oxygen that feeds the, the demands of their muscles anymore. And that's when the game is won or lost, is in the last 10 minutes. So rugby players train, elite rugby players train, not for the first 70 minutes of the match, they train for the last 10 minutes, more than the rest. They train so that they can have the ability that when their bodies cannot produce enough oxygen, that they can still function, they can still operate at the higher level that they need to, and they can think and make quick decisions and make the right decisions. And unfortunately, the team that has seemed to be able to do this the best over the years is the All Blacks. They have become known for training for that last 10 minutes. Now, we found a way as South Africa to do that. We call it the bomb squad. So at about half an hour before, you know, uh, before the match ends, we send up a whole, almost half a new team to go and finish the game for us. It's all the same. They, we're managing that energy levels. Now, but you cannot replace the whole team. So you still need some guys that have what they call muscular endurance, that can take the hits, that can operate at that high, high level. Now, how do they develop that muscular endurance? Not in games, but in practice. For years, these guys will spend a good number of hours every day putting themselves in the situation of the most pain they can produce. They get pushed all the time in practice to the point where their bodies want to shut down because that's where they learn to function at that place where everything in them screams, sit down, stop it. They need to push through. And that's what hours and hours and hours of practice does. Practicing not just to play well, but to function in that extreme situation. They have a term for it. They call it embrace the suck. Embrace the suck. It sucks. It sucks. It's horrible. It's terrible. To every day, for no rhyme or reason almost, no immediate reason to do that to yourself. Either with weights or with exercise or with what, what they do, they keep embracing the suck. But because every time they do it on a practice pitch, it trains them. So that when they're in the conflict situation, in that last 10 minutes, Perhaps they will be the team that will score the last try that wins the match and they can experience the glory of the victory. Embrace the suck. Now the Bible is not going to use the word embrace the suck. I don't think that's in Greek. I don't think that's in Hebrew. I don't think that's a very biblical way of putting it. But the Bible does have a similar concept. And we find that in James 1 verse 2. Consider it pure joy. Doesn't that sound like embrace the suck? In the modern translation, South African Buddha translation, embrace the suck. Consider it pure joy. 
my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy. Think about this. Who in their right mind would consider it joy to go through difficult times? Only people that are training for something that they're looking forward to achieve. They're the only people that willfully put themselves every day through the pain because they know it will lead to something better. They consider it joy. These are the guys that arrive in the morning at their practice and say to the coach, bring it on. Come on. Throw your best at us. Try and break us. Because we want to be unbreakable. We want to be ready. Do it. Do what you can. Throw your worst at us. They consider it pure joy. Are you in a race? Now let me remind you again of the race that we are in. So often when the word endurance is used in the New Testament in particular, it is used for a particular reason and with something in the back of the author's mind. Whether it's Paul, whether it's James, the writer of the Hebrews, so many of the letters of the New Testament, the epistles, the accounts of the New Testament that you and I read, we must remember they were being written to a people that were increasingly experiencing persecution. When the word endurance is used in the New Testament, it is often used in the context of, persevere, of persecution. The writers are writing to people like 1 Peter 1. I will read a verse from 1 Peter 1 just now. But Peter writes a letter to the aliens. He says, this letter is written to aliens. In other words, people that are living in nations that are not their own nation, not their home nation. They are sort of some refugee communities, some communities that have sort of moved purposefully to different nations, but people that are living in a place which is not quite home for them. They are living in a place where they don't have the full rights full protection. They are marginalized communities as it is. And now many of them, the ones particularly that the New Testament is written to, have made the decision to become Christians. And this puts them directly in the firing line in a community where they already don't have the rights and protections and where they already look down upon. Now they've become Christians and now they really look down upon. And they're starting to feel the heat of persecution rising. Peter writes to people that are already beginning to experience being just abused and, and disrespected within their community. Some of them are beginning to lose property. There's even been a few that has been, that has been stoned and been put to death. It's still on a small scale. It's still not pervasive everywhere, but it's building. Within a hundred years from when these letters were written, there was full-scale state-sponsored persecution of the Christians. They were busy with a systematic way to try and kill every single Christian they could find. This is the backdrop. So when he says, whenever you face trials of various kinds, that's what he's thinking. He's not thinking about the Wi-Fi's down. He's not even thinking about stage six load shedding. Although I know that that feels like persecution. I know that feels like it's the worst thing that can happen to us. He's really talking about injustice being experienced by the people of God. And he's saying to them, 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He's literally saying to them, count your blessings. And the word count, as in some translations here in the NIV UK, it says consider, but in other translations it uses the word count. And that word is literally count. It is a, an accounting term. I'm not an accountant. Ben is, and others among us, Andy, where's Andy? There's Andy. And I know there's many among, but I know enough about accounting. I did accountancy at school, is to know that when you're trying to make your, your, you know, your finances work, you've got two columns. You've got the plus my side and the minus side. You've got the assets and you've got the liabilities. You've got the things that are adding to your situation and you've got the things that are taking away from your situation. And you want to make sure that what you have as an asset is more than what you have as a liability because then, you're li then you are moving in the right direction. You don't start a business to have more liabilities than to have assets. You ultimately want to have assets, whatever, whatever, whatever the assets those are, cash, whatever. Now, normally, when it comes to trials, suffering, difficulties, persecution, pain, stress, in which column do you put those? Would you put that in the asset column or the liability column? If you have to sit today and think back of this year, think of what you've experienced, think of your family or your individual situation, think of your business, of your company, and you're starting to work through and you're starting to sort out through what happened this year, and you think, well, that was really difficult, that was tough, I didn't enjoy that. How many things would you put in the liability column of the year? Which the New Testament writers are actually saying, no, no, you must reallocate them. They belong in the asset side of the ledger. You should count them as blessings. You should count them as a good thing that happened in your life. That time that you felt like there's no hope. That time that you felt like things have, are working against you. That time that you felt somebody was being unfair to you. That time that you felt like I don't know how I'm gonna pay for this bill. That, that time that you got that diagnosis, all of these things that we wanna say, these are things that are liabilities. They make my life terrible. He's saying, perhaps some of them you should move and count them as an asset. Now, how does that make any sense? To whom would that make sense to do that? Only somebody that says, I am being prepared for something greater. I am in a race. And to win that race, I need to learn endurance now. So that I can go the distance. So that I can win the race. Verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or endurance. Your faith will not grow if it does not get tested. If we believe what the scripture says, then the scripture says every single one of us has been given a gift of faith. It may be as small as a mustard seed, but when you test that faith, it begins to grow and develop. Faith does not grow in comfort. Faith grows in resistance. Faith grows. It needs testing. It needs to be pushed. 
It needs to be exposed to difficulty because then it begins to show its true colors. It begins to flourish. That is what faith is. You see, you and I have a race, as I've said, and we're running in this race. Now, the good thing is, of the race that you and I am running, is it's already won. We know the race is won. Before I even started my part of the race, it was already won. Because Jesus won the victory. And that victory, so when I'm running in my race, I'm running to a certain victory. I'm not hoping that I'm gonna win the race. I know I can win this race because the victory has been won, but I still have to run my race. I can't sit on my couch at home. Thank you, Jesus, for the victory. Thank you, Jesus, because then you have assumed the position of the ones that have already died. Great cloud of witnesses. You cannot be a great cloud of witness. You cannot sit and say, I praise Jesus, I have the victory. No, because you have the victory, you can get up and say, today I'm enforcing the victory on my front line in this situation because I have the victory. Bring it on. Bring it on. I embrace the suck because I have the victory. I'm walking in the victory. And the next thing that comes against me that feels like it's gonna be the end of me, I have the victory so I can continue on. But I have to run my race. I have to do my part. My faith has to be tested and testing will produce perseverance. Let perseverance, perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perhaps partly what that means is so that you will not fall short on number 99, so that you will not lose the match in the last five minutes, but that you will go the distance and that you will secure the victory that you have been given in the beginning. You will be complete, not lacking the glory, not lacking the victory, but you have finished your race. But your faith needs to be tested. One of the things that is so important, if we think back of my analogy of, the, of, the, of rugby players, is in that last couple of minutes before the match is ended and it's crunch time, it ultimately comes down to who's gonna make the right decision and make not the, the vital mistake in that moment. Often the team that loses is because they just get made a poor decision or made a mistake in the last moment. And that's often down to because they just don't have enough oxygen in their brains. Because their muscles have used all the oxygen and they've just not been pushed to that level before under that type of pressure. And then they make the mistake. And that's what pressure does in our lives. As pressure builds, pressure begins to take all the oxygen and it begins to, to draw it. Do you know where pressure comes from in our lives? Pressure, real pressure. I'm not talking about just everyday kind of pressure. Real pressure comes from this. It comes from both inside and outside of myself. And the pressure builds because it's starting to make me feel like I'm going to lose. That's real pressure. Real pressure in our lives is when the thought begins to take hold of us that I'm not gonna make it. I haven't got enough. 
I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not quick enough, I'm not clever enough. I don't have enough money, I don't have enough resources, I don't have enough friends, I don't have enough energy, I don't have what it takes, I'm going to lose. That is the pressure that begins to overwhelm every single one of us and we feel it on a regular basis, don't we? Think about this year, have you felt pressure like that? We all have pressure every day. You can't function without pressure. Pressure can either be the beautiful thing that produces a guitar to play a beautiful, or like we had the the wonderful trumpet this morning. That trumpet is pressure being put through that system and it produces a beautiful sound. The right pressure in our lives produces a beautiful sound. But pressure, when it comes to that place of both externally and internally, things are developing in my life and it's starting to make me feel like I'm not gonna make it, I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna fail. That's the kind of pressure that can cause us to give up, to stop. It's the pressure that Jesus felt in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let it pass me by. Have you felt that pressure this year? Let me talk to those that are online. Have you felt that pressure this year? Have you felt those moments where you thought, I'm not gonna make it? Perhaps you're a student. Perhaps you're at school. Perhaps it's in a friendship group. Perhaps it's in your business, in finances, in your family, in your marriage, the pressure builds for both internal and external reasons and you're beginning to feel that pain of I'm not gonna make it. I don't have enough oxygen. I'm not gonna do this. That's the pressure I'm talking about. When we get to that place of pressure, it's when we're at danger. Are we gonna make the right decisions? Are we gonna, or are we gonna make the mistake? that's gonna cause us in the dying minutes to lose. Now, what do you need in that moment is what the Bible talks about when it talks about peace of mind. You need to be able to think clearly, have clear faith, have a clear understanding of what's really going on so that you can push a little bit further. As Jesus spoke to his disciples in John 16, verse 33, as he was building up to the greatest moment of pressure. That moment before he was going to be crucified, he spent time with his disciples. He spoke about John 15, about abiding, about how to live a life that despite the pressure begins to produce the fruit. And our whole next year, we're gonna be looking at that. That's gonna be our focus for the year. But in that moment, Jesus gathers his disciples. He huddles them almost like a a sports team in, in the middle of the field, huddling, and he's got them there. And he's saying to them, he says these words to them. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's saying to them, guys, you're gonna have trouble. Now, I don't think they understood the word trouble because they haven't seen him crucified yet. I think that word trouble became hit home the moment they saw him hang on the cross and the nails was beaten into his hands and the, 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 the crown of thorns was shoved into his head and when he breathed his last breath, they understood what that word trouble meant. He said, you're gonna face trouble. Every single one of those guys that heard him, or almost all of them, died a horrible death of persecution. They knew what trouble meant. He said, you will face trouble. But I'm telling you this so that in me you may have peace. Jesus says, I want you to have peace under pressure. Peace in the midst of trouble. I want you to have the ability, the endurance 
to the level that when it all comes against you and you feel like you're going to fail, that you can keep going and keep standing and keep making the right decisions. That you will not fail in the heat of the moment. That your faith, though tested, will not fail and will not give up so that you can get the prize. How can we have that kind of peace in the midst of trouble? Two things and then I'm going to finish. We can have peace under pressure for two reasons. Because no matter how the pressure is building, we know this is not the end. No matter how my body is screaming and my mind is telling me that this is the end, I'm going to fail, I'm going to die, I know it's not the end. That's the first thing. And the second thing is because we can see further than the end. We can see around the corner. We can see what's coming. We have those two advantages and that is those advantages that can give us peace of mind in the midst of the pressure and the trouble. When everybody else is saying it's done, we can say no, I can think clearly. I can find a place of rest for my mind because I have Jesus. Let me think clearly. I can respond to what God says, not to what my flesh wants to do. I can hold on to faith because I know what God says. We know that this is not the end. You see, when I don't know about you, but when I'm under pressure, everything in me says this is the end. I'm, I'm done. The only way for me is to disengage, just to stop, to get out of the situation. And you know that you and I, we have never lost the battle as long as we stay engaged. You only lose the battle the moment you give up. If you're facing temptation in your life, if you're facing addiction, as long as you're fighting, you've got a chance to win the battle. The moment you stop fighting is the moment you've lost. We keep engaged. When everything in me says this is the end, I know it's not the end. 1 Peter 1 verse 6, remember I spoke to you about Peter and how he wrote to these alien communities, these estranged, marginalized people. He says this, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now for a little while. I'm suffering now, but this is not the end. Now is difficult, but if I keep going, it's got, there's a victory ahead because I know the victory has been won. I may have to change my strategy. I may have to hear the Lord and perhaps I've been operating under false assumptions and I may need to change how I practice my faith and what my faith looks like, but I'm not gonna stop having faith because I know this is not the end because Jesus has won the victory and I'm gonna keep engaging. I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep fighting. I'm gonna keep trusting. In our culture, we have a saying that I want to change today because I don't want to be body shaming or be sexist. So I'm going to say, it is not over till the large person sings. Do you know what I'm referring to? It is not over till the large person sings. Now, I don't know who's going to do the final singing from heaven, but that song hasn't been sung yet. And until the Lord Jesus comes and finally establishes his kingdom and his rule is secured across all tribes and tongues and nations and every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is king, until that day happens, it's not the end. No matter what I feel like, it's not the end. 
No matter what my body is telling me, what my mind is telling me, it's not the end. I keep going. I keep faith. I keep trusting. In 1 Peter 1 verse 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your faith is more precious than gold. God's treasure is your faith. That's why in heaven the streets are made of gold. It has very little value, but your faith is what God treasures. Because you know what? Your faith is not like gold. Gold, when put under pressure, will ultimately disintegrate. It will lose its integrity and its value. Your faith, when put under pressure, begins to flourish. Your faith is protea fire. I know it's not looking that way in Australia at the moment. Sorry, I have lots of sports references. It's a time of the year where I watch, enjoy sport. But you know when our faith is put under pressure, because where does your faith come from? It's a gift from God. It's given to you by God. It is a faith that is shaped for the fire. It is a faith that is shaped for the, for the difficulty and for the challenge. And when the pressure is on, your faith begins to say, come on, embrace the suck. I count it all joy. Because if I stand under the pressure, much glory will be given to my Father in heaven. And it will lead to his, joy, to his name being exalted. It's not the end. And the second thing is we can have peace of mind in the midst of the battle is because we can see further than the current reality. We see around the corner. We see around the bend. 2 Chronicles 4 verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a time of real pressure and trouble, it doesn't feel light and it doesn't feel momentary. Anybody? I feel like this lasts for years. And there is just, it's like too much, Lord. No person has ever experienced what I'm experiencing. That's what I feel like. I throw a pity party with Roy Kuldrang all for myself. Do you know what Roy Kuldrang is? Spadleta. Party Kuldrang, sorry. That's a bad joke that went nowhere very fast. We get into these situations and we feel like it's, it's just not worth it. You see, every one of us gets tested. If there's any dream in your life, any vision, any hope, anything that you want to do, you're going to arrive at a point where you're going to start thinking, is it still worth it? Is the sacrifice worth the reward at the end of the day? And your mind begins to calculate. And at some point, your mind tells you it's not worth it. Surely the pain I'm experiencing today is never going to be worth it in the end, even if I get what I wanted. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm losing weight at the moment. Not this very second. I've lost, I've lost eight kilograms in about a month and a half. I've picked up two again. So I'm on six at the moment. So the next week, it's Christmas. So we'll see how it goes. I haven't had, I've had one bowl of ice cream in six weeks, which is like, I can promise you, there's not a day that goes by. There is that nice, you know that shop with a W? I'm not allowed to say the name. You know that shop with a W? They make fantastic ice cream. Like, like tin roof. You know tin roof? 
because none of us in our family, our whole family is trying to lose weight. So none of us have had ice cream. It's there in the freezer. Every morning, every day I open the freezer, it stares at me. And it asks me a question, is it really worth it? <laughs> I have a goal weight in mind and I'm starting and I'm thinking, tomorrow's another day. Surely. Now, I, let me confess now, Christmas day, I'm gonna have ice cream. Cannot, Jesus died on the cross so I can have ice cream. It's like, you know, it's, 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 it's not, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That sounds just, you know what I mean. It's just not proper to celebrate and I don't have, you know. But you've experienced that, haven't you? Whether it's with your money, trying to save for something, whether it's in relational investment, you get to the place where you're saying, is it really worth it? Now, only if what you are working towards remains worth it in your mind, can you see your present struggle as light and momentary. The bigger the reward, the smaller the struggle becomes. What, what he's saying to us is, if you look at the reward in heaven, the weight of that reward, the glory that you will experience, then nothing you experience on earth can even hold a candle to that. That weight far outweighs whatever you're going through now. That's the same sum Jesus made when he was on the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He came to see the cross as momentary in light because of that way, the way bigger glory that unshines the rest. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes. Worship team, you guys can join so we fix our eyes, not what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You can see what cannot be seen because you can see further than the end. That's faith. That's the faith that we've been given. That's the faith of a mustard seed that each of, you, each of us begins with. Our job is to make that seed grow, to become bigger, to plant that seed, to let that seed die so that a tree like a mustard tree can sprout up and that many will find its food and its shelter in the tree of my faith. But that only happens because I endure. I stand the test of time. I rejoice, I count it as a blessing when I'm going through difficult times because I know it will produce a harvest of righteousness. I can see around the corner. I can see the end which nobody else can see. And that end is already secured because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has won the victory. I want you to stand with me, if you don't mind. Those of you that are on, online watching the live stream in the radio, can I ask you to just come into a space where right now you can be responsive to the Lord, to the moving of the Holy Spirit, to an unctioning of the Spirit. If you think back of this year, what do you count as assets and what do you count as liabilities? Because that matters because that's going to be how you approach next year. If you put the wrong assets or the wrong things in the wrong column, you'll have the wrong attitude about next year and the wrong expectation and the wrong hope. Can you just close your eyes? Turn your heart towards the Lord Jesus. Begin to respond to the Spirit. But I, 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 
I know that there may be lots of pain present here today. Those online and those in the room, there's pain in your hearts. I can make jokes about these things and talk about it, but you feel the pain. You feel the loss. You feel the struggle. You feel the sadness. You feel the trauma. You feel the despondency, the depression that feels so real. And what I'm talking about today is not mind over matter. It's faith. That's a very different thing. Faith is seeing what is not seen. Seeing the victory. Seeing the future glory. Seeing the victory that has already been won. Can I ask you this morning to raise a hand and reach above your present circumstance, your challenge, to, to stretch above outside of that which is trying to push you down, that which is yelling to you that says it's the end. That is trying to, what is trying to tell you to sit down, to shut up, to give up. Won't you stretch out beyond that with a hand of faith and say, Lord, I'm laying hold of you. You are my hope. You are my anchor. You are my security. I grab hold of you, Lord. And I refuse to sit down. I refuse to give up. I refuse to shut up. Not because of who I am. I am weak, but you are strong, Lord. I take every thought captive today. And I bring it under submission to the Lordship of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're my comforter, that you've sent me the comforter, the Holy Spirit, for times such as this, to comfort me, to embrace me, so that I can know the love of God. I can respond to the love of God. That I can be drawn by the love of God to move on. That because this is not about self-discipline. This is not about just trying to be positive and do the right thing. This is about responding to God in love because He loves you. He has more in mind for you than you can even think or imagine. But if you disengage, you will not get there. But if you keep going, who knows what God will do? Every suicidal thought, I take authority over it today in the name of Jesus. I pray for the light to shine in the dark places. If you are struggling with thoughts of suicide, you need to talk to somebody. You need to get in touch with somebody. We have ways that you can do that. But don't give in. Don't give in to the lies of the enemy, the pressure that is building in your life. It is not the end, no matter what he tells you. No matter what you may feel, it's not the end. There's more. I break that spirit of heaviness today over people, Lord, in Jesus' name. I break that, those lies of the evil one, his manipulations, his abusing of your people. I break those lies in Jesus' name. I speak healing to the brokenhearted. I speak joy, Lord, joy and peace into the minds and the hearts of your people, that the joy of God that, that guards our hearts and our minds. Come, Jesus, we receive it this morning. Just receive. Just take a moment and drink from him, His presence. Just drink from His faithfulness. Just drink from His goodness, from the absolute security that you have, that He's your Father that loves you.
and that He has given you the victory. Just drink from Him. Come Holy Spirit. 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 I sense in my heart there's somebody here that it feels to you like your business is done. It's the end. And I just feel the Lord saying to you, yes, there's big changes needed, but don't give up. There's tough decisions. There's, there's, there's things that you're going to have to do that feels impossible to do now, but the Lord says, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't run away. You feel it may be easier to just stop than to continue, but the Lord says the reward that He has for you you cannot even begin to understand. Don't give up. Holy Spirit, I pray for truth and strengthening right now. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. I just sense the Lord is busy with people, but I'm really aware of the time. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna close the service at this point by praying. But as I close, I want to encourage you, if you need prayer today, if you just need somebody to stand with you, please come to the front. Our team will be here to pray with you. Just patiently wait for somebody. They'll get to you and pray with you. It may be that you need to say today, I want to give my life to Jesus. I've been trying to do this on my own. I need faith. Come and say that to somebody and they'll pray with you and they'll help you with that. We're going to continue just to, just to be in the Lord's presence. And if you want to just stay in your seat and Stand there while the team leads us. You're welcome to do that or sit and just soak in his presence. If you need to go, please go. If you want to go, just go. But, you know, may the Lord bless you. Thank you for those of you that have joined us online. You're also welcome to connect with us. There's an email address on screen that you can reach out to us. We look forward to seeing you next week as we do Christmas service together and celebrate. I'll be here with you and look forward to that. May the Lord bless you. May his face shine upon you. May the grace and the peace of God fill your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We love you and we appreciate you so much. May the Lord bless you. Let's just continue to, to be in the Lord's presence. Thank you, guys. You can thank you, Rob.